everybody's still playing in the playoffs, but uh, well, some people are. Uh, Guardians did not make the playoffs, so there's a whole lot of offseason they had to talk about. And, of course, there's a managerial search going on. Nobody better to talk about it with than Zach Meisley Athletic coming right up. You are Locked On Guardians, your daily podcast on the Cleveland Guardians, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome to the show today, everybody. This is Locked On Guardians. I'm your co-host, Justin Lanning. You'll see Jeff Ellis has the, uh, the night off. Before we get started, uh, I want to move you over to Game Time. Uh, check out, download Game Game Time app, create an account, use the code LockdownLB for twenty dollars off your first purchase. Last minute tickets, lowest prices guaranteed. And man, joining us doesn't really need an introduction, but we're going to do it anyway. Uh, Zach Meisler from the Athletic and the Selvius Godcast. Uh, if you make Lockdown Guardians your first listen or any listen, uh, the Selvius Godcast should maybe be your first or second listen, however you want to do it, but. You should be listening to them every week, and you should be reading Zach just about every day when there is stuff out. Zach, thank you. Thank you for joining us and uh, talking about the, the Terry Francona era. You got it, Justin. I appreciate it. Yeah, you've been on our podcast. Yeah. This is my first time with you guys. Yeah, a little bit a crossover about a year ago, so probably long overdue to ask you to be over here and, and tap into some of your uh, expertise. Um, just a very strange situation. I mean, I know it's been 11 years, and – you know, you guys talking to Terry Franco in every single year and, and, and where this franchise has gone since he was hired. Uh, it's a big managerial search. But um, what you, I feel like so much has changed here from what happened in this organization, you know, prior to, to him hiring here. Things have been so different from the Maniac to era. And hopefully the Guardians have learned a ton about, the managerial search and, and all this stuff, because well, you know, what came before him was a lot of inconsistencies and there were, you know, there were some highs and lows in this era as well. Um, but what have you learned about just dealing with him every day and, and kind of what it means or what the, what a major league franchise needs in a manager? Yeah, it's, it's, it's weird because I feel like things seep into your daily life and maybe you don't even recognize it as it's happening. But when I reflect back and I think about, there are so many times, especially during a baseball season, where I just don't have the bandwidth to think about plans for the off day or where we're going on vacation or, um, you know, what what our son needs to wear to this outing on this day. And I'm, I find myself a lot of times in the let's take it one day at a time mindset. And I know that that's, that's a baseball thing. And it's, it's a Terry Francona thing where doesn't matter what happened yesterday. It doesn't matter what's on the horizon tomorrow. It's I got to focus on today and figure out today and then we can tackle tomorrow, tomorrow. Um, so I feel like, you know, you start to see like how players buy in, how the coaching staff buys in um, and the difference that just it, it's weird because like I never know how to judge a manager or a coach, you know, an offense struggles and we assume, well, you got to fire the hitting coach. Um, and with managers, it's we see the tactical decisions in the eighth inning when it's a one-run game and they don't pinch hit or they don't go to this reliever or that reliever. And there's so much more to it. And you see the just the imprint he made on the organization over the course of 11 years. 
and how some of it isn't even it's not tangible it's not it's not something you can quantify but you recognize it you know it when you see it and um i think he did that so well and it's just regardless of you know whether he isn't the tactician he was a few years ago or him his health issues and feeling like he wasn't shouldering enough of the burden the last few years the communication and his mastery of relationships i think is something that whether it's baseball or life it's like you can study that and learn from it um and i think that's what made him so valued so beloved in this organization and around baseball i mean it's like find me someone who had a quote at any point in the last couple of months that said like, yeah, you know, it's Terry for going to life will go on. No, it's like, everybody has a story. Everybody has some way of just some example that, that he helped them or changed something or just something he said resonated with them. Um, and I, it's, I mean, I think that the easiest point to make is he even said, it, it's like when a new manager is introduced, it's a happy press conference. Everyone's optimistic you, you show him trying on the jersey for the first time. There's never a second happy press conference, right? And yet he got to go out on his own terms. And Chris Antonetti was holding back tears. And that's um, just, he's a rare person. And I think his tenure kind of sums that up. Two, two good points I want to revisit you brought up. You know, never knowing how much blame to assign to a manager or a coach. And I feel like that's one of the things... I've taken away from the last 11 years or 10 years, whatever it's been is that, you know, you can't really, I think managers and coaches in general get too much blame when things are going bad, but they also get too much credit when things are going good. And a lot of it just winds up coming down to players. And I feel like sometimes people forget that. And also, like you said, he got to go out on his own terms. I mean, how often do you see a manager last game with the franchise be, people handing out t-shirts and people chanting his name at the end. Like usually it's everybody, he gets, he gets fired and, you know, for all the ups and downs, I mean, obviously they didn't win a world series and there were things you could certainly point to that didn't work out the best. Um, but you don't see managers kind of get to write their own ending like that. And I feel like that is super rare. And I don't know, everybody right now wants to, there are, there are people in Tampa Bay who want to fire Kevin Cash. There are people right now, even in Milwaukee who, you know, they might walk, they might end up not with Craig council next year and they might find out that's a bad thing. Um, it's just so very strange, but I do think that's one of the big lessons over the last 10 years is that, you know, as, as good as managers can be, they get a lot of credit when things go right and they get probably too much blame when things go wrong. Yeah. And I think what made him so unique and, and the interesting thing is that like, I don't think he learned this, from anyone specific, but he kind of, as his managerial career went on, he kind of, it was reaffirmed to him that he was doing this the right way. But the way that he, he was a shield for the players. You know, he would, if someone screwed up, he was the first one to say, put that on me. And it was tough in Philly because, you know, fans were slashing his tires on fan appreciation day. Um, but it, it did show him that, that was the right way to do things. And so he didn't care about credit. Did you ever once hear him in 2016, like thank someone who praised him for the way he used the bullpen? No, he was putting Andrew Miller and Cody Allen and Brian Shaw 
out there and saying, this is on them. I'm just the idiot with peanut butter on my glasses. So uh, it's, it's cool. I mean, you, you kind of saw it like the fact that he won't even use the word retire because he doesn't want the attention. He didn't want to do the victory lap. He didn't want any of that. He was so uncomfortable that last game in Cleveland. It meant a lot to him, but he was like his skin was crawling because he doesn't like that spotlight. And I think that's just so rare to have that humility in that position with someone so accomplished. I think that's kind of what makes him unique. There were so many stories you brought up the stuff with the peanut butter and the glasses. And it just feels like a lot of that was deflection from what was ever going on. If there was a bigger story or if he wanted to, to make someone feel more at ease, it just felt like those were so well-timed. You can go back to what he said in spring training. And I, I kind of wonder too, like I saw the, the scooter story pop up. I mean, you said people slashed his tires in Philly. He got his scooter stolen the last week he was in Cleveland. And I, I remember seeing that story and I was like, okay, is this a deflection from something like that? That feels like that tended to be his style in, in big moments. Did you, you know, pick up on that after a few times those stories would come out? Did you, you know, think, okay, what's really, what else am I looking for here? Yeah, it took me a while to figure that out. Um, Cause I don't think, I don't think every time he was talking about breaking a tooth or, um, you know, he, he he just wanted you to think that he had the lowest IQ in any room he's ever stepped foot in. And in reality, the opposite is true. He might not be book smart. He might have hurried and filled out true for all 300 questions on a true false test in college so he could rush to the baseball field. Um, but in reality, like the guy, when it came to knowing how to manage people and how to get through to people and how to get them motivated and wanting to give their best effort for him, like the guy was a genius. And so I do think some of those were, I don't even think it was like trying to be deceiving. I think it was just, ah, I really don't want to, like they're asking me to hype myself up, to pat myself on the back. I don't want to do that. So let's just talk about how I ate 17 hot dogs um, or something like that. So I, it's, but it plays into the, I mean, he's got a fascinating mind and there's a lot when you're manager, you're, you're, you're the point person for everything, right? Like he, he made an interesting point in the last few weeks where it's like, you know, when the trainer has got an injury update on this player and they need to talk through, the rehab program. They're not texting or calling the bench coach at 11 PM. They're calling the manager. And when the front office is going to call someone up from AAA to replace that injured player, they're not calling the third base coach. They're calling the manager. So you're just, you're in so many conversations. You're dealing with so many people. You need to know how everybody is going to react to whatever is going on. And he just knew how to handle that and how to make sure everybody was on the same page. And yeah, I mean, it's, it's, I don't have a lot of, I've limited experience when it comes to dealing with managers. I've dealt with two on a daily basis. I've, I've been around, you know, like Jim Leland and Ron Gardenhire a lot in the past. So like they were kind of cut from the same cloth. Um, but especially like today's manager, you know, the prototypical 38 year old analytically minded guy who just retired four years ago, like there are a lot of differences and you know, I don't, I don't know. It's interesting to hear because it's like a third of the league 
has some tie to Francona, the third of the league's managers. And it's interesting to hear them talk about what they've learned from him. And then it's interesting to see people with just such limited experience trying this out for the first time, um, how different they are. It's like whoever comes in next, it's, it's going to be really fascinating to see how that dynamic changes. I didn't realize there was such a Bill Belichick tree of Terry Franco. I knew, you know, Kevin Cash, but I guess I never really sat down to think about how many people he has worked with over the years. Um, all right, we'll continue the conversation here in uh, just a moment. So stick with us on Lockdown Guardians. If you're trying to get tickets to that next big event, make sure you browse through the Game Time app, uh, comedy shows, sporting events, whatever you want to go to. Um, they have deals on tickets right after the event. And if you're one of those people like me who wants to know where you're sitting before you go anywhere, it doesn't matter what event it is. I always like to know where I'm sitting and what the seat's going to look like. Uh, you can also view that on the Game Time app. And when you use the code LockdownLB, you'll get $20 off your first purchase. So download the Game Time app, create an account, use that code LockdownLB for $20 off your first purchase. Terms apply. apply. Download Game Time today. Last minute tickets, lowest prices guaranteed. And there's no Guardians game to listen to, obviously, but you can still use your SiriusXM app to listen to all the playoff action as things get a lot more interesting between Texas and Baltimore and Houston and Minnesota. Um, what are what are some of your maybe favorite memories or at least ones that stick to you the most? Like, I mean, I can go through and point out, like, I know, you know, there's somebody to write about that maybe somebody should write a book out about this someday. I don't know if uh, <laughs> that's in any of your plans or anything you can talk about. But I, I remember going back the first time I thought about that this era would have been worth writing a book about was I feel like the, the Papa shot thing in Kansas city. Like that's my first memory. I go back and think like, wow, this is, this is so different and so unique. I mean, obviously I think a lot of people still felt like it was kind of surreal that Frank Coney even came to Cleveland. Cause I remember watching sports cast back in the day and people were like, like still questioning, like is Cleveland really the place that the guy who just broke the curse in Boston wants to be like, nobody really understood it. So, um, that was hard to believe in the first place, but I remember, I think back to the Papa shot thing in Kansas city. It was right before the win streak. Right. Um, but that was like the first time I thought about this era, like it might be worth a book. There was a lot, right? I mean, it was, it was that first season. They win 10 in a row at the end to capture a wild card spot. And think about how many times I want to be careful here. I don't want to say like, you were happy. They were happy to be there, but in thirteen, it was, you were playing with house money in that wild card game. No one thought you were going to win ninety-two games. It was such a drastically more pleasant experience than the Maniacta era. Um, you had players that like had you believing that they could win games. That was foreign for the previous six years and what eleven of the previous twelve, and. Then 14 and 15 were disappointments. But again, in 16, given the season they had, 14-game winning streak, you get to the playoffs with a tattered rotation, and it felt like you were playing with house money and you almost win the World Series. Like, there were so many junctures in his tenure where I feel like spirits were high in the fan base. Like, last season, again, no one expected you to win 92 games. No one expected you to almost knock off the Yankees and go to the ALCS. It's just, that doesn't happen. Usually it's like, think of his Red Sox era. They end the streak 
They end the drought in, in 2004 after 86 years. The expectation the rest of his tenure, it's World Series or bust. In Cleveland, that's harder to do. And, you know, there were some downturns. There were some disappointing seasons that sort of reset expectations. But it was just, they had a knack for, like, always exceeding expectations when they were low. And then, I guess, falling short in the playoffs when you actually had them. So it was just weird because there were, like, a lot of, you know, you're, you're mentioning the, the Papa shot. And then I'm thinking, like, there were so many things in every season that they were a contender that stood out like that felt so different from previous regimes you know thir- the the end of the 13 season was crazy that 16 season on the heels of what the Cavs did too was just you know the Andrew Miller trade and then how that all played out over the last couple of months and then you have no expectations when Carrasco and Salazar get hurt and then look what they do he made the like the playoffs. It was like we had this, they had this formula, and it was all right, let's just follow this, pitch well, get a couple timely hits, and then we'll go home. It felt like they could just snap their fingers and they would win games like that. So that that's when you felt like this tenure is different. You know, the 90s, you can't talk about the 90s without mentioning that they didn't win a championship, right? The 95 team was one of the best teams ever to not win one. And then they had their chances in 97. They had their chances in 98 and 99. And they couldn't deliver. So as fun as that run was, it felt like at various points that the Franco era was going to be just as good or even better. You know, 17, the win streak in 17 was unbelievable. And I think the thing that stands out to me about that is how boring it was to cover it because no one would give you an interesting quote because they were following his one day at a time mantra. and They were refusing to look ahead or talk about the history of it all. So there have been a lot of points, I think, (laughs) to your point, um, where it just felt like it was going to be an era worth capturing. And, you know, it's, it's, it's crazy. This is, this week is 75 years since their last championship. And I being a writer and someone who loves a storybook script thought that, you know, in the 90s, that would have been the perfect cherry on top, right? And in 2016, especially after what the Cavs did, I mean, that was the year of Cleveland. And it didn't work out. So come back in 2017, it, they had like the best roster maybe since 95. Those might be the two best rosters of the last 75 years. And didn't happen, right? It felt like Terry Francona should be at the helm when they break through and that's not going to be the case now. And so now it's like, well, what is this even going to look like? You know, it was perfect. LeBron came home and they won the title. Um, what's it going to look like for the guardians? I, I don't know, but Terry Francona not being there feels a little weird. You mentioned the the difference in tone, how things changed, like covering the players all following Tito's, you know, mantra, the one game at a time. I remember vaguely, I don't remember you were obviously there at the end of, the Manny Acta era. And I just remember how different the tone was coming out of just reading whatever you guys might've written covering Manny Acta every day, especially towards the end, you know, after the, what was it? Five and 24 month of August. That was probably the worst stretch of baseball in you know, our lifetime for Cleveland. Um, just how different the tone was then versus day one with Francona, how, how much that changed. And it's just so bizarre to see, the differences in those era, but also differences in, in just dealing with a manager on a day-to-day basis. Like 
you know, I'm sure you've learned a lot since then, because one thing I, I kind of wanted to bring up too, was that, you know, we talked about before press conferences, you know, on stuff, you don't, you don't watch, you know, the, the post game press conference, you don't get the three minutes, you don't get everything that's being asked there. And I feel like that gets lost on a lot of people. And um, so I'm just kind of curious to see what you've learned on, on dealing with a manager, but Frank Cohn or anybody. Um, but I mean, I know you've, you've asked some tough questions over this year and you've had some interesting interactions and um, just kind of trying to see what you've learned dealing with him, but also the difference between, like you said, you've only been around two managers every day. It's been Tito or, or Manny Acta. Yeah. And everyone's different. Like I've been in other teams sessions and you know, whenever you're filling in for someone like MLB.com, they always have someone filling in if the beat writer doesn't go on a trip or, or even at home sometimes. And a lot of the, especially the long tenured MLB.com beat writers will tell the fill in, don't ask something. Just listen. You don't have to ask anything. Let, let the people who are there daily ask. And with Francona, it was, it became a running joke. Like whoever's filling in for Mandy Bell or Jordan Bastion, they never listened. They always asked something. And you know, when you're not around every day, one, you're not as tuned into like what's going on with the team, why someone's not playing maybe on a particular day or why they operate in a certain fashion. And you don't know how, what makes the manager tick. You don't know. Sometimes there's a way to ask a question that's going to get the answer that people want. And it can be different with everybody. I mean, I, I remember being, I remember being in with the Phillies one day this year. And like, I don't know Rob Thompson at all. And I was, thinking about how I would have asked the opening question in his post-game press conference, and whoever asked it, asked it completely different and got the answer that I was hoping I would have gotten. And I'm like, well, thank God I didn't open my mouth. And with Francona, it's a learning process, you know, and he's also, he can be a little prickly to people he doesn't know too, because he doesn't know your angle. You're just trying to get him to say something that you can run with in a headline. Um, So I think, yeah, I mean, the thing that I learned from him that I appreciated was that if we butted heads, like cooler heads were going to prevail. The next day, th- there was one time, 2014, maybe 2015, we were in like a shouting match in his office. And I, I, I mean, I was, I think I was in the wrong there. I certainly. I was very young at the time and like didn't know if I handled it properly for like the next week. I didn't say a word. And I finally asked the PR person. I said, like, do you think I'm safe to ask a question? Is, is he over this? And the PR person said, oh, he was over it the second you walked out of his office. So first of all, they have enough on their plate. I don't think they can care too much about that sort of interaction, but you know, my point of view is always, I'm just trying to learn about the game. You're the Hall of Fame manager. I'm a reporter who's just trying to represent the fans and relay information to them, ask what they want the answers to. And he knew that. And he would always say, like, I need to be prepared to answer those questions about in-game strategy or else I'm not doing my job. Like, I need to have supporting evidence for why I did something. I need to have a reason. So because of that, like, you know, if, if, and there were certainly times this year where you probably heard in the post-game press conference on TV that uh, we weren't seeing eye to eye on something, and and 
usually the next day or at some point and then shortly after that you know we would have a conversation and hash things out maybe i'd get a better explanation or or an explanation of you know the other thing is these people like managers front office like they they lie they have to lie you know maybe there was a player at some point who was terrified of the spotlight and didn't want to be in you know what it doesn't matter what sport it is maybe there was a basketball player who just didn't want to be in with the game on the line um because he was terrified and couldn't handle the pressure right and the coach doesn't want to just hang that player out to dry so they're going to say well i just didn't think that was our best rotation i think thought this guy was a better fit at that moment right like you you i always say like watch what they do not what they say um and so it's just it's such a difficult balancing act because you know that and you're asking questions that you know they might be lying to you with the answer so it's up to you to sort of figure it out and filter and um that can just it can create head scratching moments and and moments where you're trying to decide how to ask something and um and i think the thing with francona is he knew all of this too you know i think that's the difference between some first time manager who's never been through this who's never it's it's different when you talk to the media once in a while and then you talk to the media twice a day every day for 9 months. Um so he was he was really good at making sure his players weren't taking any extra heat, making sure he had their backs and then finding a way to convey things publicly that you know, if someone was going to shoulder the blame it was going to be him. All good points. And you done you did a great job covering uh tito this in, entire era and i think people just <laughs> twitter is not always a good gauge of real life or acts whatever we're going to call it i just always love going back to people like well they won't ask tito the tough questions and it's like i wish people really understood the the nuances of covering somebody every day and um, just not seeing everything through a three-minute clip at the end of a game <laughs> yeah and that's the thing is it's timing is everything too right so like the famous clip from this year I mean, think about the day that that took place. <laughs> they had traded Savali. They were on the verge of trading Bell. And, like, their season was in shambles. They got no hit the next night. The front office is trying to figure things out. Like, that was the heat of the moment. I mean, it was it was an important time. Like, I, I it felt like the right time to ask that. I don't regret it. But also know that, like, questions like that, especially with him, like, a lot of times – the best answers you're going to get are off the record or they're, they're not five minutes after it happened when everybody's emotional about the loss. So you just have to pick your spots and, you know, I hope that people can trust that. Like I know the right buttons to press and like when to get the information. Cause believe me, like I have the same questions, you know, everyone is screaming at their TVs about, whatever like i'm asking the same thing in the press box as it's happening we'll wrap up today's conversation with zach and then we'll look ahead to uh what might be on the plate who we might be dealing with in terms of a manager uh coming up in the next few years and make sure you're listening to the playoffs on your sirius xm app as far as this thing goes wherever it's Baltimore looks like it's going to be Texas and whoever, and Philadelphia looks really tough. So 
uh, make sure you're listening to all the playoff action on the XM app. Yeah, it was interesting air. I mean, I, I don't know what else to say. Like, it's just so many moments. Like, you could, I mean, there are so many highs and lows, and I think you can look at, like, you know, bullpen usage. Like, look what happened to Andrew Miller after things happened here, and you could point at, you know, lineups and, you know, Miles Straw thing, the Tyler Freeman thing, and losing Yandy Diaz, all those things. I think, you know, no manager's perfect, and like you said, they didn't win a World Series. That's going to be a part of the story of the Terry Francona uh, era in Cleveland. But he still got to write his own ending. And I feel like, you know, outside of 2021, I mean, nobody knew what to expect in 2020 after everything had happened. And uh, 2021, no one knew what to expect. I don't think anybody expected 2013. I know they you know, they went out and signed Swisher and Bourne and they made some other additions. No one knew what to expect then. But after 2023, there was always an expectation until things started to get, you know, pieced around and, they did small little rebuilds in, in 2019 and they still won 93 games in 2019. So for all the things you can pick on, like, you know, how, how much he might overuse a certain reliever or the mild straw thing, lineups, the Yandy Diaz thing, who knows? More up than down. And you felt like coming into the year, there was always an expectation that this team was going to contend for a playoff spot. And um, I, I feel like that's probably why, he got to kind of write his own ending and that's why he kind of got to go out in his terms. It'll be interesting to see what the feeling is about, like, didn't you always feel like there was a chance they could overachieve even if you had relatively low expectations going into a season. And I'm curious to see if that exists moving. Yeah. Forward. I mean, I, I didn't predict 2022. <laughs> right. Yeah, even if, I mean, 20, yeah, I, it, like 2014 was disappointing, and then going into 2015, so remember 2014 was the year where they were on the SI cover, they thought they'd win the World Series, and then it didn't happen, and then 2015, like, they didn't really change much, I think they added Brandon Moss, cool, and then, but you still felt like, I don't know, like, maybe there's a chance to overachieve, I just, I'll be interested to, with hindsight, to, like, look back, once there's a new manager and, and do you still feel that was it the Francona effect? Was it just the organization? Was it the players? I don't know. I'll be interesting to see, and they're going to have a new manager soon. Who knows how soon they'll announce a new manager, but it's certainly going to be a different world. Um, Zach, we're going to ask you about that on tomorrow's episode of Lockdown Guardians. Who do you think the next manager might be? And, what's going to go into all this. But in the meantime, uh, whether you listen to Lifetime Guardians first or you don't, you should be listening to Selvia's podcast week. One free episode. You guys do a good job on the paid episode as well. Look, are you still, are you still buying people beers? Are we still doing that for the reviews and the, the uh, getting into the discord and all that? Are we still doing that? Yeah. Until I run out of money, which might happen soon. <laughs> Yeah, inflation's high, but uh, look, the, the cost of beer is more expensive than it costs to uh, subscribe to Selvius Godcast on Patreon. So Zach is really giving you money to uh, subscribe to Selvius Godcast. And with that money you're saving, you can also sign up for The Athletic and read his stories on The Guardians because there really is nobody better in Cleveland. I, I grew up reading, you know, Hal Levovitz and Jim Ingram. And even though we're close to the same age, I feel like, you know, I read you the same way I read those guys growing up. Uh, it means a lot. I appreciate it. Uh, especially, I feel like I've known you for a long time, even if we haven't always crossed paths a ton. And I mean, believe me, I 
I had the plain dealer in my hand every morning as a kid, reading Bud Shaw, Bill Livingston, Paul Hoynes, Terry Pluto. So, um, yeah, uh, that means a lot. All good stuff. So, yeah, make sure you subscribe to uh, Selvia's Godcast Patreon if you're not already. If you're listening to this and you're not already, that's shocking to me. But if you're not, you should be doing that and you should be signing up for The Athletic as well. So, uh, Zach, thanks for joining us on this episode. And we'll uh, talk to you again uh, when we talk about the uh, next new manager. Sounds good. Appreciate you guys having me. Go, go, Guardians, go.